Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. If you could, grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we have some that we can give you to use, keep, or such. We're in Matthew chapter 5. I see that you guys are ready for the fall. You're just looking for an excuse to wear all your cool fall stuff. I want to pray for the message today because it's on anger and it's something I'm very familiar with. Um, So I want to pray that I can communicate clearly and not make this a therapy session for myself. So let's pray. Father, we surrender to you. We think of those, uh, the crowd that was up on the, the hillside when you sat down to teach. And uh, give us the courage to come and to sit at your feet and not just stand in the background. May our hearts and our minds uh, lay down at your feet. And above all, Lord, show us what it means to completely surrender and to trust you and to follow you as an apprentice. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you have the answer to this, I'd love to know it. We will not be fully answering this question this morning, because I think it's too complicated, but why in the world do we get angry? Why do we lose our minds over the dumbest things? Sometimes it's important, and sometimes it's ridiculous. I had a situation uh, recently in my house. We have to drive, we have three kids and they're very active so we have to drive them around and then sometimes we get to the point where we miss dinner. So we get home when our blood sugar is way too low and so this particular night about eight days ago, nine days ago, I come into the house and I'm hungry but you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at holding off on eating, I've gotten pretty good at it. So I'm doing fairly well as we walk in but then I see it. It's like my favorite. Steph has gone above and beyond the call of duty and she has gotten uh, purchased Guichos. And when you go to Guichos, there's really only one thing to get, it's the tortellini. Family hasn't quite understood how to do it. The boys like to get these meatball sandwiches, fail. My wife gets some kind of salad, fail. Karis eats whatever's around. But the thing to get is the tortellini. Oh. So I'm doing okay until I see the tortellini. And actually, I didn't even see it. I smelled it before. As soon as the door opened, I went, oh, it's here. So everyone's scattering. We have youth group that night. So one of the kids has to be dropped off. So they get to eat there. That's a very important part of this story. One of the boys gets to eat later. So she, my wife has figured out. She set all the boxes out. And, and I'm doing things, but I'm really just trying to get to the tortellini. And so as I'm moving... I see the boy that's supposed to eat at youth group eating my tortellini. And I've seen that my wife has brought it to him after we've already established that he's going to get food later so he can wait. I am so angry. Like the passage we're going to look at today, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, do not murder. That wasn't really in my head, but it was, it was in the vicinity. 
Because that's where anger goes, when you take it to its extreme. And so I'm looking at this situation, I'm like, is this really happening? And then as it's happening, I'm like, what's happening to me? What's, I gotta stop, I've gotta stop. But once it's going, you can't like pull it back very easily, especially me. And so I'm in this situation, it's like, what is going on? Jesus addresses this topic. It's the first topic that he addresses in terms of behavior as he's going through the Sermon on the Mount. Why do we get angry? In fact, one of my favorite things is in Genesis 4, God asks Cain. Remember Cain? He murdered Abel. And as he's angry, he asks Cain this question. Why are you angry? Now, as we know, when God asks a question, he's not like, oh, oh my gosh, you're angry. Why are you angry? God is not asking it that way. He knows the answer. But do we? And as we look at it this morning, I want us to go to the core of why we're angry, but especially above all, to listen to Jesus' teaching on how we handle anger. Because it will come. That's why he has to address it. And he gives us a, a routine, a behavior to follow when we get angry or when others are angry with us. So the question for this morning is, why are you angry? I'm going to exegete soon why I was angry. This is the passage we're going to go through. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew 5, and we're going to start in verse 21, and we're going to go through to verse 24. We could have gone 25 and 26, and as you will hear later, we could have gone even farther, but we're going to stop there. So anger, as we're going to deal with here, is, is fueled by two key elements. One of the key elements is unmet expectations. For example, I had an unmet expectation. As soon as I smell the tortellini, it's mine, right? Like everyone in the family knows dad's tortellini guy. So I had this expectation. I had an expectation that my son wouldn't have it. And when that expectation wasn't met, then it starts to rise. But there's another element, a more key element. They're both important, but the other one is fear. I know it's hard to think, well, how's fear involved in this? But I want you to take your own situation of anger. I know many of you probably don't struggle with it that much, but just entertain me here. And think of the last time that you were angry, or a prominent time when you were angry. And as I'm breaking down my moment of anger and seeing what fuels it and where it came from, I want you to do the same with your situation. Because fear was involved in that. Because as I saw my wife taking the box and pointing it towards my son and she saw the needs and she's trying to meet those other needs, you don't think about this, but deep down it was, wait, are they more important than me? Like, am I on the outside looking in here? I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's what was going on. As I stepped back and went, okay, what is going on here? Of course, I didn't do it in that moment. I did it this week as I was preparing this message and wrestling with this this problem. There was this fear. A lot of times we have in our situations of anger, there's this fear that we're on the outside, that we're not going to be valued, that we're not going to be loved, that we're not high enough on the scale as we thought we were. Are we being rejected? Now, I want my wife to love my children, and I want her to love them above me, but there's also that hunger, that that fear of, am I loved? Am I accepted? And you can say, oh, the tortellini had nothing to do with it, but it triggers that. 
Because all of us, over time, build up this can, as Dallas Willard says, this can of, of anger. And we can build it up. Some of us have a, a bigger can than others. Some of us, like me, have a bucket, a full-on, eight-foot-high bucket that's built up over time. I used to be a full-on extrovert. But I found out the more I'm with people, the more I'm around them, they get angry at me. So it just seems safer. I don't even think of this consciously. I was trying to wrestle with it. Why am I doing this less? Another exercise you can do is, is if you struggle with anger, and it's only if the majority of people, it's not a primary um, problem, but for some of us, it is chronic. And a good thing to do is go back and go, when did this start? Because you probably didn't come out of the womb as a two-year-old always angry. But there's situations or moments in our life that build up that bucket or that can of anger. But in this journey, one of the things we're going to find out is that when we get angry, our value is threatened. Uh, and we have all these ways that we can respond, all these ways that we try to deal with this anger. Uh, on, on the... The battleship bug, when I go through these moments, there's different tools or different arsenal I have to deal with these slights, these unmet expectations or these fears. Uh, I can just blast out a comment, just take the big guns and go, seriously, you're going to take my tortellini. Who do you think you are? Boom, I can just deal with it. Or there's always the passive aggressive tool, you know, kind of like a uh, chemical weapon. You just kind of step back and I always wish I had a big screen here for just my facial expressions. Because sometimes our facial expressions communicate way more than our words. Or our silence, or the silent treatment. That's always a great tool. Or there's the, the little sniper approach on Battleship Book, where I can go, oh, that must be nice to have two dinner. Oh, so Zeke's more important than me. You just slide those little things out. There's so many ways that we can just sink everything with this anger that bubbles up within us. And that's why Jesus addresses this. Because it's not if it ever happens, it's when it happens. And we need to put it in its proper place. Anger, if we want to define it, I like the way one person defined it. He said, it is the immediate or sustained response. Sometimes it's an immediate explosion, sometimes it's a burn, or sometimes it's both. But it's an immediate response to the obstacle of our will. Anything that gets in the way of our will, our expectations, or our element of security, anything that gets in the way, we're going to respond to that in anger because it's confronting our will. That's what anger is. And we need to define it because Jesus is trying to define it in the larger text. So here we are in Matthew 5, 21. And he says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That's kind of an easy one, isn't it? Like most of you are like, got that. Think of this huge crowd on the hillside. Um, our team from Galilee who's going to study, they're going to be there. They're going to get to see this. 
So as he's walking up the hill, he's got this crowd, as we've talked about before, some of them are just spectators, and some of them are students, disciples, apprentices. And as they're coming, he addresses this, and you can just see them as he, as he says, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. And a lot of them are like, got that one. I got this thing nailed. But he says, you have heard that it was said. He doesn't say you have heard it, you, it is written. It is written. But his emphasis is on how we interpret these teachings. Because there's two general teachings that go around. There's the written word at Jesus' time, and then there's the oral tradition. Because people would take these teachings from the written word of God, and then they would make their little spin on it. As we're going to talk about when we deal with lust, as we deal with uh, marriage next week, as we deal with um, all of these issues, there is, you have heard, heard other people say this, but this is how I am telling you to interpret God's word. So, do not murder. Yeah, obviously. But, and then he goes on, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. As we look at this teaching and the other teachings for the next few weeks, we need to understand that everything that's happening here with anger is eternal, internal. Do you understand that? Like all of this, as I exegeted my situation with a tortellini, everything was happening inside of me and nobody knew what was going on until I started firing. And some of you don't fire, but it's still there. And some of you have friends or family who that you interact with, and inside of them, it's happening internally, inside of us. And Jesus is saying, that is the problem. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And can you imagine this huge crowd and some of them are like, oh, great. Seriously? That's why they interpret it to make it easier. Hey, just if you murder, anger is pretty cool. You can do that. This, but Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Anger is just as important as murder. Murder is just anger taken to the, to the nth degree. But the problem is what happens internally, what happens inside of us. And we need to address it. And we need to address what happens inside of us. And we are responsible and involved in what happens inside of others. It doesn't mean you can fix them. It doesn't mean it's always your fault. But you need to do your part in caring for them. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka. Now, I'm assuming most of you are like, well, that's good because I'm never going to use that word. We're going to use a couple terms that they used that we use all the time. Again, this is happening internally. So this is an insult. In fact, I love the way that some other translators use this passage. They say, do not insult others, something we do all the time. It's, it's part of our culture. We give permission, whether on, in the media, whether politically, whether with music, for us to insult others. And Jesus is saying, this should not be so. And as we've looked at other passages that have talked about this, he says, out of our mouth can come blessings on another person and curses. Both should not be happening. This should not be so. 
And yet here, he's saying some of you look at your brother or sister and say, Raka. Raka is just, I love the definition because it's pretty simple. Uh, it means empty-headed. Have you ever called someone dumb, stupid? I'm sure you keep going on farther and farther and farther. It means that you don't think they have any value. Have you ever been on the receiving end of that? Maybe the words didn't even come out, but maybe someone took your tortellini away, and for some reason, they didn't use the words, but you felt as if you weren't valuable. And that's when it starts to burn, doesn't it? That's when it starts to come up. He's saying, when you're angry, don't do this. But here's the crazy thing. With that, as we call someone something, or treat them as such, and devalue them, then the anger rises up in them. Right? You guys know that, right? In Proverbs, it says um, to, you, to not use a wrathful word because it'll stir up anger. And Jesus is saying, look, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I'm saying, do not even be angry with someone. I feel like I've already failed. I'm like, seriously, you're setting up something where I can never accomplish it. And let me add on to that while we're at it. Jesus says, well... Don't call them dumb. Don't call them stupid. Don't even think it. Don't even let it come inside of your heart. Ugh. And then he takes it to the next level. He says, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, fool is a different word. Fool, I cannot translate on a Sunday morning here because I will lose you completely. Think of all the four-letter words. Don't act like you don't know what they are. That's what fool means. It means they are solo. There's contempt. It's not just that I don't value you, that you're not worth much. I'm not even paying. Fool means you're not even worth me caring about the condition of your life. You're just an obstacle to me. We do that all the time. That should not be. I had a situation. I have just a Rolodex of situations to bring up to you. But one where I was with a friend, a good friend, someone that was wrestling for my life when I was really sick. And um, we were at a friend's house, and uh, I just came in edgy, kind of like we all come to church. You do know that everyone else comes to church edgy. You're not the only ones. I don't know why. So I'm going to hang out with some of my closest friends, and I'm edgy before I get there. And I arrive, and then I take it out on this person. It was a dumb situation. And I could tell right away he was angry, and in my head I'm like, so what? Why? Because I was getting defensive. Because I knew I blew it, but immediately we have our defense mechanism. Like, well, he shouldn't have done it. He does it all the time. And he went outside all angry, and then I went, and I tried to cover it up. Right? I tried to deal with it. Like, I'm not going to let this bother me. Fool. And I just kept going through it and going through it. But you know what? I could not be at rest. I could not be at peace. No matter how hard I tried to cover that up, it just sat there. When Jesus says, anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell, we are not talking about heaven versus hell. Notice he talks about the fires of hell. It's almost as if the pain and separation of hell, you're getting a little taste of it when we do that. You, as the distributor of anger, are getting that. And when you do that, and the other person has it rise up within them, then you are subjecting them to that as well. I was miserable. 
And so I tried that night the best I could. I'm just going to go through this. And I did. I made it through the whole night, and I didn't even deal with it. Take that, sucker. And then that night, I thought about it, and I woke up, and I couldn't deal with it. Of course, I woke up early because it was just there. I was in the fires of hell. And I knew that I had hurt him, so I, I took an approach. It was early in the morning. I know the guy gets up pretty early, but I started texting. I started texting back and forth. I was just apologizing, using those famous nine words. I literally used the nine words. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Yeah, if you count them, they're nine words. Because I know some of you are doing it in your head. They're nine words. And so I did it, and, and there was this, this, this peace, this, this sense that came over in our relationship. Because here's what hap happens with reconciliation. When you have reconciliation, you're actually closer with the person than you were before the incident. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now, what judgment is it talking about here? When we drop down, and he talks about anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, that's an official group. That judgment means the judgment of the people. Um, the people were asked to start these little courts in their little communities that would decide these issues, not always issues of anger, but just when things were wrong or right, they needed a court to kind of do it. Not just the legal court, but the, the way that they treat each other court. And so for some of your translations, it'll say, you will be responsible to the Sanhedrin, which was the, the highest court in the church. That's the judgment we're subject to. When I had that situation, I was in judgment of that person and all of our crew that was there. But here's one of the ways that we do not handle. And I want to make sure we hit this before we get to Jesus' teaching on how we handle it when we blow it. We're going to deal with this in more extensively later because it's one of my favorite um, practical ways to deal with anger and relationships. But one of the ways that we should not deal with this is through other people. Everybody does it. We as the church, we don't know what to do with our anger. We don't know what to do when we're hurt. We don't know when we've crossed the line or when we've crossed the line with someone else. So what do we do? We go to somebody else. We go around. So let's say Rich and I have an issue. Uh, let's say I steal his tortellini. He's upset. Um, and then he gets angry at me, and so now I'm angry. So what do I do? I go to Jason. Jason, guess what happened, man? Now, I'm supposed to go to Rich, but I don't, because that's just too hard. Do you know how hard it was for me to pick up the phone to deal with that situation when I hurt that person? Oh, I, I did everything I could to avoid it. And so part of the way we try to avoid it is, well, I'm just going to go this way. So Jason, can you believe it? Like, I mean, the tortellini was there. He already ate. I'm telling him all this stuff, and I love what my friend said. She's an AA. And, and um, she said that when she started doing this in the program, not owning her stuff, whether it be relational or otherwise, they said, sorry, I know you're talking to me about this, but I'm not going to co-sign on your junk, except they use a different word. I love that idea. It's like I'm coming to Jason and go, hey, see this issue? Can you co-sign with me on this? Because it'll make me feel better. Can you agree with me? And he's like, well, I want to make him happy. I want to care for him. And so he jumps in. And if he agrees to that and completes this triangle, 
And that's what I really want to get to later, but we'll do that one on another day. If he completes this triangle, then we never have reconciliation. Now he's involved in this. And he might be upset with Rich because all he's hearing is what I say. Whether it happened with friends, whether it happened in marriage, whether it happens in divorce, whether it happens in the church, whether it happens at business, whether it happens in the family. Have you ever had that family member call you? Dude, do you know what mom said? Why do we do this? Because we don't want to follow through with what Jesus is calling us to because it's just too hard. But I'll tell you, it's a lot better than having to deal with those licking flames that just rip you up. Jesus is telling us this because he loves us. I had that song stuck in my head the whole way from the back to the front. As with all of these songs that we sing, I only know the choruses usually. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. I tell my kids that if we were in a uh, voice battle between me and Drew, Drew would get chosen, but there's a chance I might get stolen. If you've ever seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. But then Logan would beat us both and it'd be over. But in this, God is sharing this because he loves us. He's trying to set us free, trying to get us out of these triangles, trying to get us out of this torture of dealing with things not being right. And he gives us a way to deal with it very succinctly. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and, about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering. This is a huge deal here. This is like the pinnacle of our life to come before the Lord and to offer him something. Literally, in some of your translations, it will say the altar. But I use the message translation because some of you are like, what's the purpose of an altar? What do we do with that? And in our U.S. church, it's used for different reasons. But in this, you bring sacrifice. You bring the most valuable things you have, and you bring it to God to bring a connection of relationship. It, it, it's, for example, in the situations I've mentioned, I knew I needed to change things. And so often in situations in our life, we're like, I, I want to come to God, and I want to make things right. We feel like we've got to offer him something. And he's telling you, as important as this is, stop in the middle of it. Stop in the dead middle of it and go and deal with that first. Why? For two reasons. One, because he loves us. And two, because he loves the other person. We need to bring peace. We need, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because it says in Ephesians, do not give the devil a foothold. Because the more we try to protect it or hold it in or, or keep it there, then Satan, yeah, he exists, has a way to get there, and you're giving him a handle. And God is saying, look, I know that you want to come and honor me, but do what I tell you then and go to this person first. Then you come to me. And I love this translation here because it says, in, as you enter your place of worship, which means right now, right here. You're like, well, maybe I'll deal with this later after church. No. In fact, you know how when you're at church sometimes and someone gets up, you're like, ooh, are they going to the bathroom? Or did books say something bad? Or do they have a sporting event to go to? If anybody stands up in the middle right now and leaves, they're doing what they should be doing. It would be fantastic if while Drew is leading worship, there's nobody left. Because all of us 
have walked out to immediately deal with that situation, to go to our brother or sister and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I was wrong, will you forgive me? Not just saying the words, but internally to mean them, to realize that that reconciliation is so valuable that God wants you to interrupt even your worship to set things right. You have full permission. Grab your phones right now. You can start texting right now as I'm speaking. My voice will turn into someone from Charlie Brown. It's totally fine because this is what Christ is calling us to. I love the fact that Jesus, how he responded to anger being placed towards him, forgive them. They know not what they do. Can you imagine how much easier it would be if in situations like the tortellini, I just assumed the best instead of getting wrapped up in my own stuff? My wife, literally, right after that, before I was still caught up in my anger and nothing could push through, but she'd already in her mind go, oh, oh, that's right, that's right, that's yours, because she's just forgetful. That's just how she is. And so she saw it. She said, oh, I got to take care of somebody. And she brought it out to me. And she looked at me. She goes, oh, do you want me to make you something? And oh, she would have. You know, some people, oh, do you want me to make you something? And they don't mean it. You know how like when you go to someone's house, oh, do you want some coffee or something? And you think, mm, I really don't think they want to make it. If you're ever at my house and my wife says, hey, do you want me to make you some tortellini? Do you want me to make some spaghetti? Do you want me to, make you, you want me to go pull out a steak? She means it. Why don't we assume the best instead of assuming the worst? Because when it comes down to it, the core of what Christ is calling us to is for us to pull people, including ourselves, inside the inner circle. And this is what I mean by that. This, I think, this is my interpretation of this passage. But when someone is called fool, or when someone is called raka, or whatever term you use of insult, whether you say it to them personally, or you say it publicly, or it's in your heart, we are taking them and we are putting them outside of the circle. C.S. Lewis, in his one talk he gave in, in 1944, he called it the inner ring. And in that moment, and notice I keep going back to Tortellini just because I had to give us some situation, I felt as if I was being pushed out of the ring. There's the hierarchical system, you know, in the military, but in life, there's one also. We kind of know where people stand, and we always assume that we're on the outside. A chip on our shoulder, I'm on the outer ring. We have to understand that people feel that way. My heart breaks whenever I see people come in visiting here at Branches. Because when they come, our natural tendency is not to reach out. Not because we want to keep people on the outside, but because we're too afraid. There's only a few of you that are extroverts. The rest of you are like me. You're like, oh, someone else is gonna say hey to them. I hope they do it soon. But I know that people are coming, and when they come, they're like, okay, I'm already on the outside of the inner ring. Are they going to let me in? Because I know that we have that in our hearts. When we go to parties, when we go to work, when we go to family stuff, everybody's in, but I'm on the outside of the ring. And God is saying, look, you've heard that it said, do not murder. But I'm saying, do not even be angry with someone. Or do things, say things that are going to make them feel or for you in your heart to push them in the outer ring. But instead, go to them. Go outside of the ring. Get rid of the ring and pull them in. 
and let them know how precious they are. Because that's the core of this entire teaching. That is what Christ is trying to get across. The preciousness of people. The preciousness of you. The preciousness of the person that has pushed you out of the circle. They are valuable. And when we get our value from the Lord, then we can more easily deal with the ebb and flow of this fire of anger within us. Now, I struggled with this passage because I didn't know whether to stop there or to keep going. Because right after this, they're going to talk about, Jesus is going to talk about sex, and then he's going to talk about marriage. And I'm not so sure that they're supposed to be separate. Like, when you look in your Bibles, you, you need to know that when, when they were translated, when they were written, as people were taking the words of Jesus through oral tradition and writing them down, there were no numbers. There were no chapters. There were no periods. It's all just there. And so in these thoughts, like, you look in your Bible, you see these little headings. Murder. Adversary. Sex. That's not how it was. It wasn't like Jesus said, okay... Now we're going to deal with anger. Okay, we're done with that. Now we're going to deal with... They're all intertwined. And when we talk about calling people a fool or raka, whether out of our mouth or in our hearts, so often it's with our spouses. That's the first person you need to go to if you're married. So often it's with family. Why is it the people that are closest to us sometimes are the ones we're so easily able to say that to because more than anything, you ever, you ever wondered the answer to that question? This is my chance. This is my attempt at trying to answer it. It's because more than anything, we want to be inside that person's circle. We want to be in that inner ring. And the people that are closest to us, if we feel any slight, if we don't assume the best, then we assume we're on the outside. And it hurts more than anything, so we need to hurt them. So we are going to deal with this next week. There's a reason why in marriage they say the two topics that cause the most uh, conflict are sex and money. Because those are the two things that can make us feel like we're on the inside, that we're in the inner room. So let me close with this, and then I want to invite up uh, the worship team, and we're going to take communion together. Romans 13, 8 says this. He that loves has fulfilled the law. As Jesus is teaching on all of these issues, it's going to come back to one behavior above all. To deal with anger, sex, marriage, to do it right. Love. To put their needs above yours. As you feel it rising up, but no, wouldn't it be cool if my son got to taste the beauty of that tortellini. He doesn't really appreciate it. He'd prefer the meatball sandwich. But what if? What if we assume the best of others? What if we rise them up higher instead of assuming the worst? And why don't we get rid of the ring and realize that God has already done everything he could to show us how valuable we are and how we belong in the inner ring. So as we get ready to take communion, if you know that there is someone that has something against you, you've got to deal with it now. Don't take communion. 
Maybe you ever heard that at church. Go to them first. Deal with it. If this room is empty, we're okay with that. Me, Drew, Logan, we'll go and we'll tear down all the kids' areas and put all, set up all the rest of the chairs. Be set right with your brother or your sister. Father God, we surrender to you. This teaching is so overwhelming. And all of your teaching reminds us that we have to depend on you. That we cannot be perfect, but you can. So we surrender to you, Lord, ask for the courage to do what is right. And to trust that when we follow you, it will be better. We pray this in the name of Jesus.